Welcome to Rock Album Analysts. This is the return of your weekly podcast where three lifelong friends, rock musicians, and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album each week. This is your host, David Lucarelli. John Carson. This is Mike Gavigan. And we're going to start off doing something a little different here. This will now be a video podcast for those of you that like to watch such things. And we kind of ended the podcast. We did three episodes of Forgotten Rock Classics. So now that we're back, I figured we would go the opposite route and take an in-depth look at the top-selling rock albums of all time. And the number one top-selling rock album of all time is ACDC's Back in Black, which, depending on what you read, has sold at least 50 million copies worldwide, which is kind of insane if you think about it. But, I mean, this is an album that I think is in the record collections of people who are not even rock fans, right? But this is what they consider to be the definitive rock album. And there's a lot of good reasons uh, why one could make that case. Um, So without going into too much detail, uh, this album came at a very pivotal time for the band. Uh, They had been working with producer Mutt Lang uh, on the Highway to Hell album, and they had achieved some success with that. The album had gone gold in America. And they were all set to uh, begin recording the follow-up album when their singer Bon Scott died in a tragic alcohol-related accident. And they had to decide whether or not they wanted to continue on. Ultimately, they decided to do just that. They found a new singer in Brian Johnson and uh they recorded for about seven weeks with uh producer met lang in the bahamas and the result was back in black so right off the top uh general thoughts about the album john uh it's well it's basically a perfect hard rock album the one it's an interesting thing to listen to again because it's played on the radio all the time you know there's some of these songs that i've you know i've heard over and over and over and over again so it's interesting to sort of just take it as one i i know i do not own the album i've never purchased the album but it's uh ubiquitous around me in, in pittsburgh particularly i think everybody owns an acdc t-shirt and probably owns this album um and the, you know the radio is constantly playing you know at least four songs um from this album in constant rotation so in many cases, I get kind of um, sick of it. Yeah. But it's neat, neat to hear it all together as one product, try and look at it from the view of them recording it in 1980. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's basically perfect, but at the same time, it's almost like too perfect. So. so I would say that you cannot spend time in any American bar to this day in this country for more than about 90 minutes without hearing at least one song played off of this album. 
You know, it doesn't matter if it's a dive bar, biker bar, rocker bar, whatever, strip club. I mean, you will hear a song off this album. It's probably going to be You Shook Me All Night Long. And you might hear more than one. I hate that song because it's everywhere. Yeah. You hear it all the time. I do not like that song at all. Um, So it's interesting to force myself to listen to it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Mike, your general thoughts. Uh, my general thoughts on the album are just remembering hearing it as a kid because this was the album that I was introduced to ACDC. I didn't really, I wasn't really familiar with the Bon Scott era stuff um, until after this album came out. So I kind of went backwards. I, I purchased uh, Back in Black, but, um, you know, a few years after it came out, after a friend referred me to the band and introduced me to the band, so to speak. Um, and then I got into things like the you know, the Dirty Deeds. Uh, album, you know, which I loved, but I, it seemed like a whole different band in a way. Like Dirty Deeds seemed so like really like bar band and, and not as produced obviously because they were working with Mutt Lang but um, I just remember being blown away by how with this album you could put it on and it just had such an energy to it you yeah know? and at the time I was learning how to play guitar and I thought well, okay I, I you know I know some songs I think I can play along with this and I could play along to the whole record like it became easy to play along with it and get into the energy but um, the more you listen to it the more you realize how complex the arrangements are with you know, the guitars and the interplay um, and the production's great. It sounds like, you know, every time, if you, especially if you listen on headphones, it's like when you, they start the, the, the intros and stuff, you can, you can hear the room. It's mm-hmm. almost like you're in the room with the guys, but it's still well-produced, which is kind of a contradictory way to describe it. It's like, it's, it's an in-the-room sound, but well-produced. And the vocals to me just sound so, it's almost like you're in the, the vocal booth with Brian. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hear like, you know, you can hear his lips parting and all that kind of stuff. It's, I don't know, it's really immediate, but still well-produced. And it's just, Again, just it, you know, if, if you were blind and you heard this record, you, in your head you could picture what Angus is doing while these guys are recording these songs. I mean, they're not sitting around, you know, in a chair playing these tunes. It's like they're probably rocking out in the room, and there's probably you know a case of lager somewhere in the, in the corner. And they're just going at it, and that energy comes across. And again, you know, we talk about classic albums, you know, like your Hotel Californias or you know Van Halen One or whatever. It, it, it's ten songs. I mean, it's there. It, 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 that's all you need. You know. It, it, there's no filler it's great from beginning to end and it's just you know again a lot of these songs like you said john are definitely overplayed uh, but you know that's also a positive thing too because it shows there's such a lasting quality in uh, what is a great album uh, with great songwriting and great production and i find it interesting too that um you know i've always wondered about you know the legend of you know were any of these songs written uh with bon scott you know either in mind or you know with bon scott and the only thing i could find so far was uh, bond had supposedly played um drums because i guess he was a drummer as well he played drums on some early demos mm-hmm. uh, but apparently there was a, a conscious decision made on the band's uh part to say you know we're not gonna record anything if they had songs that they wrote with bond they didn't use them or something like that there's some kind of mystery about you know they didn't want to cash in on his memory according yeah to that, that, that's that sounds about right yeah yeah it's it's very interesting um because Bon Scott obviously was such a unique voice and such an interesting lyricist. He was kind of like a, like a rock and roll pirate, you know, who was, reminds me sort of of Captain Jack Sparrow from Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean in a sense, that, that he was funny and witty and one of the hardest things to do in rock and roll is to 
pull that off and yet not become so much of a joke or self-parody that people think your band is a joke and they don't take it seriously. And he was able to walk that fine line where a lot of his lyrics are just very clever and full of double entendres. And at the same time, you know, the songs still rock and, and, and you're not wondering whether or not it's a serious band. Um, and I've, I've, I've heard debate about whether or not any of these lyrics are remnants from what he contributed. The only thing I could say is that I don't hear any of the kind of Bon Scott witticisms that are on previous albums in Brian Johnson's lyrics. But on the other hand, I would say that this is kind of a high watermark for Brian Johnson in terms of lyrics. And, you know, one could argue, well, if it was all Brian Johnson's lyrics on this album, then why is there such a fall off after this album in terms of mm. a lot of his lyrics? You know, so mm -hmm. I don't know. There, there's another interesting thing I wanted to talk about before we dive into the first song, which is I know from previous discussions with you and me, Mike, yeah. We've talked about ACDC. You and I both had the same reaction to ACDC the first time we heard them. Just listening to them musically, we kind of thought they were a joke, right? I mean, because it was so simple and so straightforward and so simplistic. And I don't know about you, but I was waiting for the hook to come in the <laughs> guitar chords, you know, and it was, I mean, pretty much every ACDC song is A, D, g sometimes e right uh and 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 it doesn't come in in the chords a lot of the time and it doesn't necessarily even come in the vocal melodies you know um when when my son hears acdc his reaction is like why is this man yelling at me um <laughs> you know and i was wondering if you could you could talk a little bit about that because obviously they're an acquired taste we both love this album, but that was not the initial reaction we had to this band. Yeah, I, it's, it's funny because I remember having you know friends at the time and talking to them about this album and just the band overall, and they were saying things like, you know, well, no wonder you know they write simple three chord songs; they can just you know sit around and you know, have a couple of beers and play the songs live on stage, and it becomes easy for them, you know. Uh, but you know, we learn after, yeah, but still, yeah, I, I see what you're saying about you know how you know where is the hook in a way, you know. And I think that kind of gets lost or swept under the rug with with like the energy of, of the tracks. You know what I mean? Like you, you get so taken by the the energy of it, that you don't really you know do you need the hook in a way? You know, but it's sometimes music can right. be energetic and take you you know to to a place without having to to deliver in that way. But I, I funny listening to this CD again today in the car. I mean, they must have had so much fun just writing these lyrics because like you're saying with, with bonds writing you know it could be it could be clever but you know they you know how many times can they say you know let me, let me put my whatever into you or let me let me cut your cake with my knife or all those kind of things you know they do that over and over again but it works every time in a way you know at the same time too they must have been sitting around just like having a laugh at themselves going all right well here's the lyric and that's what it is and you know and here it is it's a huge selling album you know but there, there, you know there's no is there really depth in these lyrics you know does it need it i don't know but well, at the same time too it's, it's definitely joke you know you could you could look at it as 
you know, I mean, around the same time I was watching, you know, the movie Spinal Tap for the first time. And I thought, why? Well, at, the, at the time, I thought Spinal Tap was a real movie, a real band. I thought, that's the worst band in the world. How could they be so stupid? I didn't get it. But it was, you know, sat, it was your rock, you know, mockumentary, if you will, you know. But with ACDC, you know, you just kind of buy into, into what they're doing. You know, it's almost like, and it's a shame, too, because they're bands that, um, you know, whatever they're doing, it kind of gets lost on the audience. Like, you have, like, a party-hardy audience, and, you know, they'll be just attending the show to have, you know, a few drinks and watch a show and get in an energetic rock band. But, you know, is there a message here? Debatable, you know, but it, there's definitely a theme, you know, but, but uh, yeah, is it, you know, it, it definitely, right? you know, it's a fine line between, you know, like, sort of a joke and being clever with the lyric. But you, just, you can't dispute the, uh, the energy of it, though, in the rhythm section and, and uh, the production. Right. It's, pretty, it's, it's rock and roll boiled down to its essence. Yeah. which is kind of stupid you know right. what i mean but at the same it's, time it's like it's, a, it's a like of... a shot of like grain alcohol right exactly this, it's, this it's like literally... no frills <laughs> like right. and these guys were these guys were they were the scary band when i was a kid you know there were older kids yeah. in the neighborhood yes that would play this band out their windows you know um... if you were a tough bully <laughs> yeah, around the mid to late 80s right, chances exactly. are this was your favorite band and now i have a theory for why that is too which is you know um there is something kind of disturbingly amoral about a lot of their lyrics, both Bon Scott and Brian Johnson, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the lyrical standpoint. And I think it, it has to do to a certain extent with you know the prisoner subculture. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole history of Australia being a penal colony. And I think that there are remnants of that that are reflected in the kind of biker rocker subculture that persisted to exist to that day and um so you know like songs like problem child you know like you know i'll i'll you know i'll take your life i mean flick this, my knife yeah, i'll, I'll take, your take your life, life. Yeah. yeah um and talking about abusing women and whatnot there there is this and i was looking it up in criminal violence criminal <laughs> justice this book here there, there is this whole i can't find the exact word that it's called but there's this kind of like typically african-american folk hero um who there are songs and poetry about him who simply behaves in this highly exaggerated completely amoral way right and he basically fucks all the women and leaves them all pregnant and you know kills all the men and does all this he's sort of like a larger than life folk hero and one of the things that typically the young bucks who come into prison do is they try to be the living embodiment of that kind of persona basically Mm -hmm. so nobody messes with them you know Mm -hmm. and 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 the the older prisoners kind of know what they're doing and take it for what it is and don't take it as seriously but i think there's a lot of that kind of attitude reflected in acdc lyrics yeah yeah agree it's just it's just tough guy for the sake of tough guy and they're they're unapologetic about it they're not trying to pull any punches yeah um you know what i mean to make themselves more liked which i think has something to do with their appeal to basically everybody right they're not trying to be cute they're not trying no. to be sexy. Although you know. Bon Scott, I mean, they're, the Bon Scott era is very, you know, has elements of cuteness. There's sort of a slight Freddie Mercury thing going with Bon Scott. Um, yeah. 
and there was that but i mean we're not talking about bon scott i don't want to derail us too much but yeah i mean like just having songs that start with people going fight fight <laughs> you know what i mean when you're like 10 years old you're like how is that even allowed to be a song you know like that's like you know they just yeah. literally just pushed to the limit where it was like this is you know this is the scariest baddest music i've ever heard yeah you know um, and, and they they didn't seem to be not to cut anybody off they didn't seem to be either focused or afraid of any backlash because you know this is around the time of albums like you know speak of the devil ozzy osbourne were coming out and you know the, the whole like you know devil rock you know stuff you know i mean for god's sakes you've got you know albums like you know i've got an album like highway to hell um, yeah you know they, they meant you know there's you know a lot of mention of you know the devil or hell and all in this album throughout uh, but then i remember even seeing you know as a 10 year old kid I remember seeing album covers like, you know, if you want blood, you've got it, you know, and you got Angus with a guitar through his stomach, whatever. I mean, that was jarring to see, you know, in oh, like, yeah. a, in like a, a, a department store record store, you know, right. a, a record section of a department store, like, whoa, that's crazy. I, you know, do I even want to listen to that? I'm a, that, that cover like freaked me out. I didn't listen to the album for, right. until that, years later. You know? They're scary. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, that, that was really, I mean, they were, um, I have, um, yeah. Now, I, I only have one friend that I know of that was a huge fan of theirs, like had all the albums, that kind of stuff. But um, it's definitely, you know, this album that connects to everybody with this like sort of scary. I mean, they were. Um, what did ACDC like? Didn't that have after Christ of... devil comes? That was yeah, the number, like right? That. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. Like, I forgot about that. Oh, they were OK. So they were actually marketed. And I'll shut up after this. I have a friend who <laughs> was listening to the DVE like new music show back in the 70s, um, which was, you know, they would play like new music and see if you liked it or whatever, that kind of stuff, make or break mm -hmm. kind of deal. And they said, um, this, people are calling this a punk band. Tell us what you think. And it was the mm. first ACDC song. I mean, they were marketed as a punk band. They're early, mm. there are posters that i see around or that i've seen on the internet because nothing dies on the internet that say like new punk rock and it's like them and you know some other um australian punk band or whatever right so and there is very, a punk aspect to what they do yeah, no doubt super stripped down super simple um no you know they're not going to be accused of i i and then i read some other article although i think i'm taking this out of wikipedia so you probably read it too um, cause that's the extent of my research on ACDC, but that they were, um, this was a quote, a turning point in the 1980s for heavy metal because it, at most heavy metal at that point had become a lot more self-indulgent and a lot darker and a lot weirder. And then this album came out and then Van Halen's album came out and they both had like, um, pop elements to them simplified. You know what I mean? They were sort of infused with punk. Like they got rid of the sort of the dinosaur vibe of, you know, can we make like a seven minute song about, you know. There's uh, no planet caravan on this right, album yeah, or anything like exactly, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Here's so. an interesting story. A friend of mine's um, mother's friend went on a date with Gene Simmons uh, and he took her to the whiskey to see this new band that had just came come over from Australia for their first trek called mm -hmm. ACDC. And apparently Gene sat right in front of the stage the entire time 
completely transfixed, just staring at them and completely ignored his date for the rest of the date. <laughs> he was so blown away and interested in, in how they sounded and what they were doing. And I, I think that's fascinating that, that that was his immediate reaction. Um, after I heard Back in Black, just as a point of reference, I went back and I listened to a lot of Highway to Hell. And I thought it was so interesting because, not to get into the technical details of engineering, but um, I know that the on the very early ACDC albums, they did not mic the guitars. They took the the uh, line out of the of the guitar amps oh. and they recorded oh. them, which typically, if you want a good guitar sound, is not no. the way to go about it. Um, and those guitars arguably don't sound all that great um, in terms of the tone on the mm. earliest albums. Now, mm. when as soon as you get Mutt Lang involved, obviously he's a much more sophisticated engineer and Highway to Hell sounds a lot better sonically than what had come before. But even that album, even though the individual sounds and tones uh, sound good, they sound like a garage band compared to Back in Black. Like, mm. oh, yeah. everybody's grooving, but they're not necessarily grooving with each other all that much. You know, they're all in their little worlds right. and they're, you know, kind of going in and out and the guitars are a little ahead and a little behind and stuff. Cut to Back in Black, everything is so tight and in the pocket and yet it doesn't sound, obviously this is years before Pro Tools, so it couldn't have been like electronically cut oh. up. But it sounds like a live band. It just sounds like the tightest live band you've ever heard. Yeah, much like uh, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, in a way. Like it sounds again. It it does sound tight, and it's 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 pro. It, you know, there's there's no weak link in this band. But it's it's crazy that it can be that it can be that well produced, but also sound that live in a way. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, again, it just sounds like you're in the room with the band, and I mean, even here's some of the overhead mic stuff going down. I mean, it, it while you listen to it in headphones, it's yeah, but definitely a difference um, between this and, and Highway to Hell, and also too, I was doing a little forward thinking and realizing that Mutt also produced uh, the Def Leppard album uh, High and Dry, mm. and there's there's a lot of yeah, Mutt Lang's all over everything we like. Yeah, <laughs> at some but, point, yeah, there's, he's all he's yeah. But but to that point about Def Leppard is a lot of there's quite a few guitar tones on this record that I hear in High and Dry, mm -hmm. you know maybe it's similar in terms of the drum sounds as well. Um, but interesting too that um, I'm not quite sure where Mutt started to get involved in, in in songwriting, but he was not involved in the songwriting on this record. You know whereas other bands like Def Leppard and other, you know he would get involved and he was either co-writer, you know. I wonder about that. I know he's not credited, but uh, yeah. I mean, you know, like there definitely seems to be a distilling down. I mean, Angus's leads in general are very, very melodic and almost like mm -hmm. vocal lines a, a lot of the places. Like I, 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 yeah. I feel his influence in terms of the arrangements, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the, the other thing is sonically, this album I mean, the low end is so well produced, like the bass and the, the bass drum and the guitars, everything has space and but blends together and it's so pleasing to the ears. It's like, I mean, there is nothing that sounds better than a track from this album blasted like in an arena before the main band comes on. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, just, that, 
Yeah, there's a warmth to it in the bottom end. And, you know, we've even joked, you, me, me, you, me, me, me and you, Dave, um, you know, sometimes you put on certain Judas Priest records and it's it, it's not warm, you know? No. <laughs> this album has a warmth, you know, that, that stands on its own, so. Yeah. Yeah. So without further ado then, we'll jump into the first track and then we'll we'll yeah. double back at the end and we'll talk about what we've all been up to. But um, yeah, so Hell's Bells. Uh, this is one of my favorite ACDC songs, but I mean, you know, that's kind of like saying ACDC is like Coca-Cola. It's everywhere and it's always pretty good when you drink it. Um, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it winds up giving you heartburn like right away. And those are there's some on here that do that. But um, but Hell's Bells is considered, you know, in my top 100 songs or whatever. I like the that he paints a picture at the beginning, you know, like Rolling Thunder and all that kind of stuff. Which supposedly, if you believe the, the Wikipedia article, had to do with yeah. the weather, the storms yeah. they were experiencing in the Bahamas. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then it, the, the bells sort of harken back to... Um, to sabbath you know what i mean sure and then there's that that and then it even has that sort of like slow grind riff that you know what i mean that like gets uh a good um you know gets you nice and i don't know wrapped up i guess is you know what i mean it, it has sort of a grindy droney you know it's like it, uh, it comes on like an unstoppable force of malevolent right. evil. You right. know, it, yes, it reminds exactly, yeah. me, it reminds me of like reading the book Dracula, where like the feeling that you get overall is this is a force of nature that's coming to annihilate you and there is nothing you can do about it. Right. Yeah. So there's, uh, yeah. And then, yeah. then even the lyrics, like you're young, but you're only going to die, you know, that kind of You're stuff. only it's young, just, but you're going to die. Yeah. 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 It's just, uh, it's great. I mean, it's great. I, it's, it's again, um, that, um, you can't go wrong with that riff, that bell at the beginning. It does strike me a little bit as, um, I can't, I have drawn a blank on the name of the Sabbath song, but it still has that sort of like evil riff. Like I'm, I'm assuming they were informed by the Sabbath song, you know, but yeah. So Mike, what did you think? Uh, I, I, I see this from two perspectives. One is, you know, as like a 10 year old kid um, and, and having friends that introduced me to this record and, and going to Catholic school, you know, so there was nothing more difficult than going to gym class when you didn't have to wear your, you know, button down shirts or whatever and, and putting on a t-shirt to play dodgeball, right? So you come in with an ACDC shirt. No, you can't wear an ACDC shirt. They, they, they love the devil. You can't wear that in, in here. Okay, well, you know, whatever, you know, but uh, in a way, this sort of in a school the, in a school. Come on, where's my freedom? Of no, come on. Those people are teachers. They should be smarter <laughs> than that. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, yeah. But then again, you know, Johnny, whatever his name, could wear a minute work shirt, but I couldn't wear an ACDC shirt. So whatever. But the teachers. point being, it's ridiculous. But anyhow, the thing is, this sets the tone for the record. You know, again, I think there's definitely you know sort of a theme when it comes to you know, hell and, and the devil, and even down to Angus's guitar looks like you know the devil horns with the, the Gibson SG. I mean, there's definitely something to that. I'm not cutting on it, but you know, there's definitely something there. But again, just, you know, just the just that ominous sound of the bell. You know, where is this going? And then when the riff comes in, it, it just grinds. It's just it's relentless, and it's it's just it it works. And then even down to the concept of you know when I finally got to see ACDC live. They do the full-on thing where Brian comes out with a mallet and he hits the bell at the beginning of the song. And it's probably a pre-recorded dealio, but uh, you know, it just it's cool they, they can incorporate that visual into the show as well. 
Right. Well, they made an actual life-size bell yeah. that was in tune with the song and recorded it for the, this album. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that that slow grinding riff, it reminds me of, you know, like when you have these younger inexperienced bands and they want to be really heavy, they're like, ah, we're going to play the song. It's going to be really super fast. It's going to be really heavy, you know? Yeah. And like to open this album out, up with this kind of slow grinding kind of grandeur is really a sign of confidence and of these guys are seasoned you know and and that riff it's really kind of not that different than riffs like uh good times bad times Mm. by led zeppelin or cold gin by kiss right i mean it's kind of a very standard variation on a standard rock and roll riff and yet it's never sounded quite so heavy and ominous as it does the way that they're playing it um and again it's so interesting the the kind of amorality of this song personifying the devil if goods on the left i'm sticking to the right if you're into evil you're a friend of mine mm-hmm. you know not that different than the grateful dead lyric right if you're a friend of the devil you're a friend oh. of the um yeah. <laughs> but at the same time there's the there's this idea it modern postmodern idea that every villain is a hero to himself right and that so good and evil are these relative things and this is kind of flips that on its head being self-consciously evil and calling it as it is you know um so i i think it's a brilliant song it works incredibly live and it's the perfect song to start this album off yeah and i you know, it, it reminds me too of you know we all grew up in you know what was referred to as you know a steel town you know there were certain sounds you grew up with um you know i lived probably like two miles from you know a couple of steel mills and surrounded by railroad tracks and always hearing freight trains going by there's this, this sort of grind to this riff that reminds me of that you know when I hear the song I'm taken back to you know Wayne Street 1901 you know one five two one eight just hear that kind of there's a sound to it is a, a rhythm to it and a pace and it's so yeah. in the yeah it's, it's there there's a quote from Paul Stanley where he said something like you know the sound of heavy metal is largely the sound of construction going on in a large city in some ways <laughs> and and i yeah i totally i get what you're saying about that it's that like clanging of the girders coming up and uh, yeah that all that blue collar heaviness is just you know undeniable yeah. so then we go <clears throat> from that song into the first real kind of groove song shoot to thrill yeah i, I like the riff it's got a good like rhythmic riff going to it and his voice is is perfect for it. I'm trying not to listen to the lyrics though. The other thing that stood out to musically to me is that there's like this sort of chaotic bridge area. I, I don't I don't even know if you'd call it a solo that then just uh, resolves to this like big you know big glorious chords or whatever, and then it drops down to this like muted guitar thing, which is a nice touch which they do really well, that weird muted dun-dun-dun-dun, yeah. you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. They're, that's like one of their signature sounds or whatever. Um, as one who has never had too many women with too many pills, um, <laughs> it's something that never really, I mean, I, I this, is, this is the stuff that turned me off to them when they first kind of, you know, um, because it just, 
equating love with violence. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Like even, even as like a, a little kid, I didn't really dig that. I didn't really um, get it, but it's, you know, I, I sound like a prude now, but I just, it's not, it's, it's um, musically, it's a great song, you know, real simple riff. The, the riff is like nice and groovy, that kind of stuff, but uh, not my favorite. What do you think, Mike? <clears throat> um, it, you know, it reminds me of some of my favorite Kiss songs, like Love Gun. You know, it, it's tongue in cheek. I get it. You know, I, you know, I, I don't mind it in, in that regard. Um, yeah, I never got it as being tongue in cheek. Okay, I, that's funny because Love Gun I get as being a joke. This I don't get as being not a joke, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So maybe yeah, I, I just. I, I just take it as, you know, a bunch of guys sitting around trying to write songs about, you know, trying to get laid. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not to distill it down to its, you know, most simple, you know, you know, element, but that's, that's my impression. Um, well, definitely the most interesting lyric is what you hit upon, John, too many women with too many pills. One right. has to assume that he is talking about birth control pills right that's because, what i thought too but then i'm thinking would he really say that or would yes that be because because okay. here's the thing right prior to the introduction of the birth control pill the young irresponsible <laughs> blue collar man had a certain advantage in the sexual sphere between the sexes in that he could count upon the women to have to behave with a certain degree of sexual responsibility because they did not want to find themselves knocked up and pregnant and have their life's prospects destroyed. With the introduction of the birth control pill, there is an argument that that gives a young, uh, rootless woman license to behave in as wanton a way as a young sexually active man can with freedom from that mm. possible consequence and responsibility. But that can be seen as very threatening to the young sexual wanton man because now all of a sudden, for all he knows, she's probably off having sex with other guys without regard for the consequences because she's not gonna get pregnant because she's on the pill. Well, isn't all heavy metal just men re-expressing their fear of women? I mean, isn't that like what all of it is really about. I mean, this could be. Yeah, know. to a large extent. I mean, the, the <laughs> She Done Me Wrong song is is basically a, one of the top rock staples, sure. Right, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, all, yeah, it's all fear of women. But go ahead, what do you, uh, Mike, your opinion on it? I, I was just going to say, too, I think one of the takeaways for this, just the entire record is how, and this song is, an, is another example of that, how they'll always go, or not always, but they typically go to a key change uh, for the guitar solo section. You know, like whether it be the same riff yep, in a different yep. key, yeah. or they'll come up with a completely different riff. And I think, Dave, to your point about arrangement, I suspect that that's a heavy mutt influence, you know, or a heavy mutt in invo involvement you know, in that way. Yeah. Uh, but then John, to you brought up the yeah, point yeah, about that okay. sort of, that percussive um, breakdown after the solo, that's it's also kind of like a Van Halen um, approach as well. You know, mm -hmm. I know that a lot of you know a lot of a lot of these bands toured on on, on a lot of shows like Aerosmith and, and Van Halen and ACDC, and they were all around each other. So what, I, whether or not that's a Van Halen influence, I don't know. But it, you know, it just reminds me of some of the stuff that Eddie would do as well. And, and definitely, nobody does it better though than ACDC. You know, when when they do it, yeah. it sounds like them. It doesn't sound like them imitating somebody else. 
But yeah. any other band that writes a song like that, like even Kiss, when they do the uh, "Won't Get Fooled Again" thing, they kind of have a breakdown like that live. You know, right? I'm 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 thinking of Kiss doing what ACDC does. You know what I mean? It seems uh -huh. like an ACDC uh, signature thing to do, and it, uh, it comes across. I mean, again, well well arranged song. Um, you know, whether or not people buy into it lyrically, you know, so be it. But um, you know, you can't dispute the fact it's well written, well well arranged, well produced. For sure, for sure. And you know, yeah. we should say too. I mean, ACDC is probably next to Kiss, the band that has launched a million uh, hard rock and garage and punk bands because because their stuff is so deceptively straightforward a lot of times. People listen to it and they go like, oh yeah, I could more or less play that. Even if you're a beginner guitar player, um, you know, versus if you're listening to say Deep Purple or Van Halen, you're not necessarily gonna be able to pick up your guitar and figure out what they're doing hmm. um, initially. <clears throat> and which is not to say that this stuff isn't good or isn't valid. In some ways, it's a lot harder to write songs that are this simple and mm -hmm. make them memorable and, and distinctive and, and allow that kind of space. So um, moving on to what do you do for money, honey? Um another fear of women's it seems like but it's the the thing that stuck out to me about it the most is the the great gang chorus you know what honey what do you you know what i mean that's that's really nice um doesn't really grab grab me that much i like the i like the acdc anthems you know what i mean mm. so i don't this song doesn't really stick out for me except for that chorus that you know is nice and you know loud and grabs your attention so, Mike, what do you what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think you know. I mean, not that people listen to ACDC for you know at least. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, uh, there there are a lot of people that you know that believe in the notion of you know Bon Scott was sort of like you know the street poet in a way, and I'm I'm one of those. Um, I don't really see that that lyric approach with with Brian Johnson in a way. I think of it more as you know a guy just in a pub that's you know writing songs about what he sees or you know if he wants to be clever about you know, trying to get with a chick or whatever. But um, definitely. You know, if you're going to look for meaningful lyrics in an ACDC song, this wouldn't be the one. Um, right. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, out. there's a fair amount of misogyny on, yeah. <laughs> on display in this song. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that too. Yeah. I, I do I think, think that, that, you know, it's the idea of the, the femme fatale and, you know, there is a reason why, uh, you know, the whole genre of noir, which was developed in Los Angeles, you know, which also can be accused of being misogynistic and, and, and whatnot, you know, there, there, there's a certain type of woman that, that again, is able to use her sexuality for monetary gain, but who's not necessarily a prostitute who comes into contact with the rock and roll world with a fair degree of regularity uh, because you have a lot of these working class blue collar men who are trying to make it in these rock bands and they have no visible support. And here's a young, good looking woman who's sexually active and is attracted to them and willing to help them out. And at a certain point, um, they ask themselves, well, why is she able to pay for all of my groceries? And where is this money coming from? And, you know, it's kind of like lifting up a rock and you see all those scary bugs underneath it. You don't necessarily <laughs> want to know the answer to that question. So I think that's 
kind of what this song is about. Yeah, agreed. Um, <laughs> giving the dog a bone. I uh, if this is about oral sex, and I it find is it to be the cleverest <laughs> lyric that I I don't you know I I uh, um the it's it's actually a fairly clever lyric. The riff again is a nice simple um thing it does not you know it's not going on like a workout playlist or like one of my top 500 songs or whatever or you know that kind of stuff but um there's again there's nothing that stands out to me particularly when it's put up against other songs on this album um i'm not saying it's bad you know it it it, it fulfills the acdc social contract of being you know like a good riff rocker you know that kind of stuff um with more you know double entendre but it doesn't you know what i mean it's not my favorite so mike what do you think again i'm, I'm always a big fan of you know the big riff you know does it rock or does it not you know this song definitely rocks but you know in a way it just gets so repetitive um and kind of in an annoying way much like that you know where they keep repeating loving every minute of it you know it's over and over again it's too many too many lyrics too you know too many repeated way too many times and too close of a, of a cadence you know it, that kind of if i just say it, that, kind, that kind of bugs me about this song you know it's, it's almost like they try to cram too many words in too small of a space and it just becomes so repetitive that you you, you lose interest mm, mm. yeah you know, ACDC does something which is interesting and not a lot of other bands do, which is kind of a, a de-glamorization of sex, you know, whereas other bands in the hard rock genre, it's sort of a male sexual power fantasy, like, yes, I've been with these gorgeous, beautiful women and I just have sex all the time, you know, they're the ones that are talking about, well, some of these women I've been with have been quite, you know, borderline unattractive and heavy set and blah blah you know there's a kind of refreshing <laughs> honesty about it and 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 i yeah. think this is one of those kind of like sex is this anti-glamorous thing songs that they do where yeah i mean it's obviously puns about oral sex she's using her head again and and whatnot right. but but it's also like sex as a talking about it as like a basic um human function like going to the bathroom or whatever you know and i mean it's very it's not portrayed as as like this sexual fantasy necessarily um but anyhow well but do you guys ever recall them being called out for any of this kind of stuff and this is before the you know the me too kind of thing and like you know were they ever pegged as like you know we talked about the devil thing we talk about the, you know the sexual you know, aspect of the lyrics and stuff. I mean, were they ever called out on the rug, you know, to say, you know, how do you guys answer this? You know, wh what is your belief in this? I don't remember, I don't really, they were so, there was so much mystique around this band that you don't really see them in, in press or in interviews, you know? Were they, did anybody ever question these things that they wrote about? Not that they should, but I don't I recall seeing them. There was a fair amount of probably religious protesters at some of their concerts. Yeah. But but I don't think they've ever really been called to task for, you know, like, because I don't think anybody's really taken their lyrics all that seriously. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is funny because, again, you know, like with Kiss, 
I know there was one interview with Paul Stanley where, uh, you know, some somebody criticized them for like, oh, here's Kiss putting, you know, a similar album out to the one they put out last time. And, and Paul Stanley's like, have you ever heard an ACDC album? They all sound exactly the same, you know. And, and, and there was an ACDC quote about that, too, where some critics said, oh, ACDC just remade the last album. And they said, that's not true. We've made, remade the last five albums, you know. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, um, they know what works. I mean, it, it, it's almost like they're afraid to break the, you know what I mean, the mold. For fear and of yet, do. the counter argument is that there is something really special about this album. I mean, I would say this is arguably their best album and everything that came after it. Ha there's some good songs here and there, but I don't think there's anything that's even in the ballpark of this album on the whole. Yeah, this is this could be their pinnacle. Yeah, um, and I think it's I think it's because of like sheer force of will. I mean, there was so much pressure on these guys. It was do or die. You know, they really had they were on the cusp of becoming huge, and they yet there was all you know they could have hung it up, and there was all this pressure on Brian Johnston to step into Bon Scott's shoes, which not an easy thing to do either. Because I mean, no. he you know Bon Scott was such a such a unique character you don't want to do a bad imitation of what he brought to the band yeah and in this case they didn't bring somebody in that was you know like a you know like i always thought that maybe you know ac the, the obvious thing i think for acdc to do would have been bringing the, the singer from rose tattoo mm. right so well he's all there rose tattoo was also an australian band right if i could be wrong but you know the, no the they Okay, and the guy sounded like Bon Scott. Like that would have been the easiest thing for them to do, and they kind of went in the other direction. They got the guy that, you know, sounds even bigger and, and edgier, you know, and has like a resonance that Bond didn't even have. Not that Bond didn't have a resonance, but like, you know, Bond and, and Brian are two of the most unique singers in rock and roll. I mean, how in the hell do those guys sing like that and still have a voice? You know, yeah. After, I, after I don't either. They show. always sound like they're like two seconds from being dead. Yeah, you know what I mean. Or just they're literally torturing their throats. It sounds like whenever they're singing. Yeah, yeah, but it's definitely immense pressure for sure. Uh, and to the fact too, I think I've read something recently where they, I guess, they were trying to record and they wanted to find a studio in uh, in uh, the UK, and I guess there weren't any that were open. So hence their their move to the Bahamas to record this record. Right, right. So let me put my love into you. I wrote creepy, creepy, creepy. Although great spooky <laughs> riff. Yeah, I like the killer riff. Uh, yeah, it's a great riff, and it, it's got that nice, like, grindy, droney sound to it. That's like just gets you right in the back of the head, and you know, it's it's great. It's a you know, it's a. I mean, if you take it at face value, it's horrible, you know. But if you take it as like a, the don't you like, struggle, don't you fight? Yeah, yeah like, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's rapey. It's definitely it definitely rapey. has a rapey side. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not a song that you. Yeah. I would I would cancel this song if it were 2022. You know what I mean? But again, that that riff, man, you just can't beat it. Like, yeah, and that and that backbeat, um, you know, bass drum and uh, bass guitar riff. You know, they did that on the breakdown of uh, Jailbreak. Mm. You know, on, on the, the one of their first albums. It, it's definitely a signature ACDC thing to do, and I'm, I I say that in in you know the most you know, respectful and positive and appreciative way. Uh, it's definitely something that they do that works well uh, it's a killer riff and i was thinking too just in terms of production like when, when you listen to this this song particularly on, on headphones there's definitely like a sizzle and, and electricity to the guitars how huh? acdc but there's definitely like 
a sonic sizzle that you don't hear on, on other records when it comes to the guitars, particularly on this song. It's just kind of, I don't know, it's, it doesn't sound like it's, it's not the room, it's not the air, it's not the, whatever's going on, but just, I, they, they captured a tone on the rhythm tracks on this that to me yeah. is, you know, refreshing to be able yeah. to hear again. Yeah, you can picture the the biker, you know, driving all night through the storm <laughs> while playing this, you know, listening to this as the soundtrack. And yeah. I mean, it's really, it's it's kind of the first breather, the first moment you've had to catch your breath since the opening track. Yeah. Um, so it, it sort of functions, I think, as a palate cleanser. I can't remember if this song was the one in which they, they have the line... Um, no, actually, it, it's the next song. So I'll just, okay. I'll just, I'll move right on to that okay. song. Well, before we move on to the next song, let me kind yeah. of point out a few other things. One of the things that this song has that a song like uh, Given the Dogman doesn't have is, you know, when you write songs, and not that I write lyrics, but you know, I'm a fan of, you know, lyrics, you know, uh, like take a song like Rock and Roll All Night and Party Every Day. You've got an A line, you've got a B line. You know, right. you can't just repeat the A line over and over again and, and expect that to work and have any sort of depth. You know, yeah. or, or hold the audience, you know, attention, if you will. Whereas at least this 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 song does something that Give It the Dog Bone doesn't. But yes, yeah, yeah, definitely the the sonic pause and the and the tempo pause that uh, one needs to. You know, basically, well, this would this would have been the end of side uh, one if you were listening to this on vinyl, right? Right, right. Oh, yeah. well, funny, you know, you mentioned lyrics. Just to go back for, real quick to Give Him the Dog a Bone. Mm -hmm. uh, night scenes, wet dreams. Dirty uh, women or machines. Uh, Kiss yeah. stole that one hook, line, and sinker for uh, <laughs> Lick It Up a few years later. Just going to point that out. Great point. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but hey, you know, if you're going to hey. steal, steal from the best. Yeah. Well, we took ACDC out on their first tour, you know. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <bro. laughs> yeah, Kiss's claim to fame. These are the bands we broke, supposedly. Yep. Uh, so. Back in Black. Okay, Back in Black is literally like a personal... There's two songs that uh, I use as personal, like, when I was going through um, going through grad school and doing that night shift gig and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. And it's one of them is uh, Back in Black, and the other one is It's a Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll, which to mm -hmm. me is my favorite ACDC song. Okay. Just because it's got a bag, the bagpipe in it or whatever. But this to me is also the great, um, you know, get up and fight back song that I use to get myself pumped to do things. Um, I mean, just the lines let loose from the news. I'm number one with a bullet. Um, you know, I, I, I love it. And it's, it's interesting because it's, it's a bit of a tribute to Bond because it's back in black you know what i mean that we're mourning his death but also back in black because we're back in dangerous again you know scary that kind of stuff uh that riff is just you you can't beat that riff that's one of the greatest riffs ever um and like a i riff said it's that like was supposedly taught to uh ace fraley i just read this oh. in an elevator by tom morello before they played it live uh for some <laughs> show <laughs> seriously yeah <laughs> No, maybe, uh, I, yeah, yeah, it was either that or Highway to Hell he taught him. He taught him some ACDC riff in an elevator. <laughs> I'll buy that, all right. So, yeah, so it's one of my favorite songs. I mean, just the lyric, you know, lyrically, I mean, it's open, but it's, you know, uh, nine lives, cat's eyes, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know. so Although, interesting line, abusing it. every woman, never wondering why. Okay, I missed that lyric. 
Okay, um, but but I mean, there's there's kind of a, um, a paradox there, right? Because if you're self-conscious about abusing a woman and you know and you have to say that you'd never wonder why about it you're by default de facto already wondering why so already there there is this kind of middle class guilt starting to creep in to you know that kind of lyrical misogyny in the music i'm just gonna say yeah Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll buy that. I don't. I mean, again. I mean, the whole album is like, and there's a lot of women that like ACDC. You know what I mean? A lot of women that don't pay attention oh, yeah. to to this kind of. They stuff. get a free pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's again. It's one of my favorite songs. No, I don't. I. I. I after. 37 years of listening to that song on DVE, I had never heard that lyric um, pop out, but I've heard uh, all the other ones. So, Mike, what do you think? I, it's, you know, it, 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 it could almost be like a rap song in a way. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got that kind of, you know, rap sort of cadence to it, which is, you know, I, it, I mean, it's, it's such a confident song, <laughs> and they present it so well. I mean, it's, it's no wonder it was, you know, it was a hit and it was definitely a standout track on, on the record. Um, but then again, you know, you go back to you know, what I mentioned earlier about the production. I mean, it, again, you hear the room uh, when you when you listen to this record right. to the point where I, th I, th I think you hear somebody shout out, you know, like a one count, like say one before the, you know, the, the guitar riff starts at the beginning of the song. Yeah. Which is an interesting point about Mutt's production because, you know, I'm a big fan of Mutt's production. I'm also a big fan of, of Def Leppard. Like you take an album like, pyromania where there's a lot more experimentation and, and like you can tell it's kind of like maybe a little more it's professional but it's not really super professional like you know what i'm trying to say is you know mutt on an album like hysteria def leppard would never allow something like a one count to be heard on that record I mean, that album is pristine from beginning to end but where this is like it's kind of it's like a it, one of the sort of like you know if you leave in a, in a, in a fault in a certain way in a song then it, it creates like a human feel to the song when you hear it I, I these are things that are really detailed but things that i appreciate when you hear when you listen to a record because it's easy just to you know, hear it in the car and just you know dismiss it and think oh i've heard the song a million times but when you revisit a song there's always something you can you can listen to or pick up that you didn't hear uh the first you know one time or 100 times around uh, but still just a, a killer song and you know I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't uh, open the album with this song, but then again, it does open uh, side two. So, which to me shows that they they saw it as, as a standout track for sure. Yeah, not released as a single right away either, which is weird. No, ah, but it was eventually a single. It's like yeah. the third or fourth though. Yeah, um, yeah. I, it one of the all time classic rock anthems, and I'm just a sucker for songs, you know, that talk about being back. I, you know, I think because <laughs> because again when you're when you're young and and you've got nothing to lose and you're first coming up i mean you know success is sort of a matter of a combination of talent and luck and being at the right place at the right time but they were in such a weird pivotal situation where you know the comeback for them was do or die and i and you can feel all of that pressure and all of that uh, arrogance that they more than were up to the task and they met it here, you know, much mm -hmm. like 
Aerosmith back in the saddle, you know, yeah. Eminem, you know, guess who's back. Uh, you know, I just, I like songs about being back and this is one of the best. So. Right. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, you know, <laughs> the list goes on and on, but uh, it, yeah, I mean, if we could do, I would listen to back in black and then, uh, Mama said, knock you out over and over again. Just There's a metal back. version of that song, by the way. I think it was done by Five Finger Death Punch. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, actually, the, the true... Okay, we're off topic here, but if you've ever heard <laughs> the the um, LL Cool J uh, Unplugged... Of oh, that, I have heard that, yes. That is too. mind-blowingly good. But again, oh, that's, that's the, one of my favorite songs. It's, that's you know, the one where he, he uh, does a, a vocal line with two microphones, right? Right, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be heard. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how they're not. And I remember the first thing that popped in my mind was like, how are they not feed, feeding back? I don't understand this. <laughs> they're not on. <laughs> right. Ah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, great tune. Great yeah, tune. let me go close my door. I'm getting a little bleed here. Okay. All right, so now the big one. You shook me all night long. I freaking hate this song because it's played all the time. And it and it I don't think I it's one of those things like what's the you know you, the 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 song where you're like I want to hear ACDC and then they played this. Why couldn't have you played Back in Black? Why couldn't have you played Hell's Bells? Why couldn't you played all these other things? You played this. And I know this, this is literally their biggest hit. Um, but I have I cannot um I can't objectively look at it anymore because I've just heard it so much and it's just not that it's it's uh ruined for me because I've heard it so much. But again, a killer riff. <laughs> it's in there, like on on my hundred thousand lithium where I actually tried to concentrate on, it, I was like, wow really good riff that's like actually pretty clever so mike go ahead you can maybe talk about what i'm missing from it yeah a couple you know fun points and a couple funny points um even from personal perspective i mean yes that riff is great but it's deceptively well you might think it's easy to play at least the beginning part but it's not it's really chimey and really jangly and you know it's a, a high up on, on the on the guitar neck in a way more so than you would think uh, then when they kick into the main riff for the verse that is definitely you know, relatively, you know, easy thing to, to learn on guitar if you're, if you know a few chords, but still, I mean, it, you just, you hear the band when you hear the, the, this album, when you, when you hear this song, I mean, that's one of my favorite things, you know, about hearing studio albums that sound like almost like, a, you know, a live band playing, because at least, you know, it's, it's five guys in a room or however many, and they're doing their thing and they're working together and they contribute their part to it. That, you know, that's something to appreciate about this song. Um, you know, yeah. if you haven't taken the time to do that, but also too, uh, you know, we mentioned, you know, Back in Black kind of has almost like a a rap, you know, hip hop kind of feel to it. I think, you know, these lyrics have the same kind of delivery in a way mm -hmm. to me. I see that. Well, hip hop was just, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's hip hop informed. I mean, that, that kind of, that style of singing is whatever. I mean, hip hop was yeah. really invented. But it is kind of a it talk be. singing. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, a, yeah, yeah, definitely a talk singing thing too because it's it it interplays yeah. with the drums in a way because you've got the beat, but then the, the lyrics and the vocals kind of weave in, in and around that in a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know, where you've got that's a really yeah, yeah, you've got like this really strong, heavy, you know, drum beat going down that's really simple though, but then everything else just weaves around it in a way. And that just reminds me of you know, uh we mentioned LL Cool J or you know, whoever. I mean, there's certain, you know, there's a certain style there. Yeah, you know, that, that I think is 
similar, you know, between you know, rap and what's going on here too. I guess they could have been. I mean, at that point, what Rapture by Blondie was a hit. I think. They yeah. Could have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. But your point too about you know production. When I wanted to mention this earlier about songs on the, on the album that we already discussed. Um, I have friends that you know kind of had this theory that there's like the Mutt Lang you know backing vocal sound that's on just about everything he does from Back in Black to High and Dry to Pyromania to you know whatever albums he's you know other you know other things he's done afterwards. Um, I'm hearing other voices in in the background vocals here that to me don't sound like Malcolm. Mm. You know, when you when you go when you you know when I've seen ACDC live, there's a sound to it. Like Malcolm has this really weird, I shouldn't say weird, it's just really kind of like just edgy background vocal. It's, it's not really like a, a soaring, you know, pleasing sound. I'm definitely hearing somebody else's vocals in, in the backgrounds on this record. And I'm wondering if that is Mutt. Again, I don't think he's credited, but could it be him? Mm. You know, he, he's definitely on a lot of the tracks um, on Def Leppard Hysteria, particularly Love Bites. You know, there's definitely some vocals on that track that don't sound like Joe Elliott or, you know, Phil Collins, whoever's doing background vocals. I suspect that, you know, some of the background vocals on this record um, or somebody else. And to me, that, that, that could be mud. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I take your point, John. It's hard to hear this, this song and, and with a fresh set of ears because, you know, it's just been drilled into us for years uh, in every bar we've ever been into. And every time we, turned on MTV back in the day and, and, and whatnot. But uh, I mean, the thing that, that I, I, I was listening to, I was trying to think what makes this song so hooky. And to me, it's that the way that the guitar chords like just ring out in time with the snare, you know, as part of the riff. And it's like sort of played as a strum on the upbeat. And then it's not the same chord when it comes back. It's a different chord, right? It's like, you know, you wrong. Took me wrong. I mean, yeah. and that's such a such a deceptively simple but brilliant uh, thing. You know, then lyrically, when you get into, you know, metaphors for sex is like an eating contest or a boxing match you know it, it does get a little <laughs> you know silly and and cliche and whatnot but okay um yeah the, the the thing with it is is every time you hear that opening uh that opening jangle guitar my brain will go oh that's cool oh yeah i think i like this song and then it's like down and i'm like no i hate this song. you know what i mean and it's just like <laughs> Um, because it, it, that is a great opening to a song, you know, and it's definitely like, even that little riff is pretty cool, but you just hear it so often that it's not even like a song anymore. It's like wallpaper. Yeah. Well, funny too, about that opening riff, they never revisit that, that theme throughout the song. Like it's the intro and that's it. That's the only time you ever hear it. Yeah. That. They don't even throw it in a bridge or anything. Good point. Yeah. Mm. Which mm -hmm. would have been a classic mud thing to do, like reintroduce that somewhere, you know? Good point. Good point. But you know, to, to the point too about how over, I guess you could say overplayed the song is, or just you know how how easy it is for someone to make make the song like a cheese ball moment. I have a funny story I want to share with you guys. I don't think I've ever told anybody this story. Um, years ago in the '90s, um, I would go to whatever show came came to town. I, I remember seeing um, Peter Frampton, and it was a version of Sticks that didn't have Tommy uh, Shaw, and it was um, I forget the guy's name. Left-handed guitar player was in his place. Anyhow. It was an, an amphitheater on, on the uh, south side of uh, Pittsburgh. Anyhow, point being, I went to the Peter Frampton show and I was there with a friend that was a runner for De Caesar Engler. Okay. You know, which is a you know, big concert promoter in Pittsburgh. 
he knew two uh, girls, women that were at the show and they were working with Peter. They were like tour entourage, whatever. So they said, hey, do you want to meet Peter Frampton? Yes. How do we do that? Go to the airport Marriott after the show. We'll meet you in the lobby. Peter will come down to the bar and he'll say hello. Cool. We're there. I was driving a 1989 Grand Am. Uh, and, and that day. Yes, you were, buddy. That I was. <laughs> it was. It was the cleanest car in, in Pittsburgh. But uh, nonetheless, right. yep. it's, uh, it, was a, it was a piece of shit. And uh, that day, the muffler failed on it. So I drove all the way to the south side with the muffler. And I sounded like a Sherman tank going across you know, the Smithfield Street Bridge. So I had to drive. You know, If you know the Pittsburgh terrain, to get to the airport, you have to go through the Fort Pitt tunnels, Route 79. You know, I was climbing up the yeah, hill at yeah. a snail's pace, making all kinds of noise. Pull into this fancy hotel to meet Peter Frantz with my you know, car making all this noise. Anyhow, point being, yeah. Peter, com Peter comes down to the lobby. Do you want to, you guys want to go to the bar? Sure. He throws down a hundred dollar bill, buys everybody, you know, in, in our little group, you know, a drink. And there was a DJ in this hotel bar. And what did the DJ in the hotel bar do? The most cheeseball thing I've ever seen for a rock star. If you've ever met Peter Frantz, if you know anything about the guy, he's sophisticated. He's English. You know what I mean? He's, he's not like, you know, Johnny Rocker guy. He's not, you know, and he's got a sense. Hey, of he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. This DJ puts on this song puts on like a blonde wig and grabs like a broom from the broom closet and starts, you know, dancing around the room as if he's doing air guitar around Peter Frampton. And I just remember Peter Frampton just looking around like, really? You know, <laughs> it really, you know, this, yeah, it was like the most, I thought, now when I hear that now, definitely, John, if you want to hate this song, <laughs> yeah. think about yeah, that yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. It'll really make me want to hate this song. So, ah, <laughs> oh, it was just, I, I, just, I, just, you, I, just, I just wanted to leave that room, you know. I was here meeting my yeah, idol. That, this DJ makes an opportunity to like, uh, you know, okay, rockers in, in in the room. There might there might have been ten people in the bar, you know. Right. Like there's nobody there, you know. Peter Frampton's in the room. I don't need you as a DJ to try to impress us, you know, with your DJ skills, you know, it's with your silliness. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> DJs are a special breed, anyway. I mean. Yeah, they're good ones and they're the other ones. Yeah, but sorry, I want to get that off my chest. It's been bugging <laughs> me for years. <laughs> I needed to tell you my Peter Frampton story my whole life. <laughs> Well, duly noted. Um, Thanks, guys. <laughs> have a drink on me. Uh, this is the first one that I feel is filler. Um, I like the blues of guitar on it, but it doesn't really, again, doesn't grab me. Again, because there's so many great songs on this album, it feels like, um, it feels like filler. There's not, I, I'm not paying much attention to it. You know what I mean? So um, not a huge fan. Mike? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, they're trying to be clever about writing a song about, you know, drinking or whatever. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, you know, is, is it bluesy? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, you know, the things I find interesting really more like the, the guitar and the arrangement kind of stuff. Like you got the verse where the guitars are just playing the same thing over and over again, but you've got this bass part that's changing key and pivoting around that, you know? Mm. You know, again, you know, does that make for a great song? No. Does it make for a good song? Yes. Um, you know, but at the same time, too, they're definitely better songs that they're on the record. Um, and I agree with you, too, John. Like, for me, ACDC is all about anthems, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, is writing a song about having a drink, you know, necessarily an anthem? You know, is that something to really celebrate? And no, it's, it's part of it, maybe the experience, but is it really, you know, the main thing to focus on? Right. No. You know? Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't know. I mean, it's again, it's, you know, 
it like all the other songs that I don't necessarily totally like, it still isn't bad, you know. I'm still no. not gonna yeah. No. And and, and to you again, I've mentioned, you know, and I'm not trying to be, you know, religious about any of this stuff, but you know, again, they 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 bring in the devil theme again, you know, forget 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 about the check, we'll get hell to pay. You know, there's always that kind of element of hell and the devil <laughs> in, in ACDC. Right. And, you know, good for them, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's a perfectly fine drinking song. You know, I I think it. These guys have probably forgotten more about various types of alcohol than I ever knew. <laughs> you know, um, and and it comes across as honest and authentic. I don't think that you know, there's nothing that 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 feels forced or insincere about it. So I think from that perspective, it's an effective song. Um, all right, shake a leg. Uh, again, again, see, this is this is where you put your worst songs at the second side near the end. You know what I mean? Before you close with the big thing. So again, it's like it sounds like the riff from Dirty Deeds in it. Um, at least that's what immediately popped into my head. Mm -hmm. dun, dun, yeah, that. Yeah. And then, huh. but that, um, and I mean, um, it does what it's supposed to do. I mean, it's, you know, loud and run, you know, it's got a good riff to it, even if it is a little bit used. Um, but again, it feels like filler. You know what I mean? It's not the best thing on the album. But again, they only, I mean, this album's only like 42 minutes long. You know I mean? That's like, that's crazy short. But I guess, you know, in the 80s, you'd get away with that, 70s and 80s. So not my favorite, but go ahead, Mike. What do you, what do you think? Uh, again, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of the, you know, the songs that rock and this one definitely does. I mean, that groove, you know, and it's relentless and it's, I mean, you could, again, you can picture in your mind's eye what, you know, Angus is doing while he's tracking this song. I mean, it's, you, you can't dispute that energy at all. Um, you know, again, what does Angus do? He shakes a leg when he plays, you know, so it's almost like his, uh, fair his point. Song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there, I mean, there's some interesting things about the song. I, I like the 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 lyric "idle juvenile," you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> on the street, on the street, yeah. you know, kicking everything with his feet and his feet. You know, fairly fairly clever wordplay from uh, Brian Johnson. Um, it question. Yeah, well, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Make your point. And I have a question. Okay, I was going to say, to me, it, it, it reminds me of some previous ACDC songs. John said "Dirty D." It's also riff raff. You know, it, it kind of ha with that ascending kind of uh, riff. Yeah. Well, I have a question. Yeah. We've been mentioning lyrics. Um, you know, I, I know I had this record on vinyl and I can't find it. I had it on CD and I, can't, I couldn't find that. So I went to a store uh, a couple days ago and I, I got it. Um, was there a lyric sheet? In I don't think, not in the one I had. I don't, yeah, I don't recall it in the one that I had as a kid, which might have been when I bought it around the time it came out. Either way, uh, the point being, Dave, you mentioned some cool lyrics in this song. It's almost in a way the song is so damn fast paced that you don't get a chance to hear the lyrics. You know, yeah. have to hear to hear what he's saying. So it'd be, you know, these days you can look up lyrics. But like it would have been beneficial to have a lyric sheet, which you and I are big fans. We're all big fans of a lyric sheet. Come on, you know, oh, you yeah. write these great lyrics. Give the people, you know, what they need. Give them the visual. Let let them, you know, read it like it's a book in a way. You know, that this song the... would benefit. Yeah, to the point where, you know, if you read the lyrics as they are online, some of them are clearly wrong to this yeah. day, uh, which is annoying. Yeah. Um, you know, something that this song does, too, which actually other ACDC songs on this album do, 
I have to point out because John and I are the son of English teachers is it switches <laughs> perspective like mid lyric from talking about, um, you know, uh, she was knocking me out with these American thighs and you shook me all night long. And, you know, this song does that, does that too. And you don't really notice it as much because, you know, it's done fairly <laughs> subtly. Faster. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, the song's played a lot faster. Yeah. You know, and you haven't heard it 9,000 times <laughs> right? today. <laughs> yeah. So final song on the album, rock and roll ain't noise pollution. I like I like this one a lot. Again, I'm a big ACDC anthem fan. I like that bluesy but still really cool riff at the beginning. That down down down. You know, it's got a nice little groove to it, but it sounds also sort of bluesy. Um, and then you know, I like the lyric. I mean, I, I like the lyrics in it. It's it's a well done song. Um, I guess that was like their first single or something, or which is strange to really have that as your last song in the album or whatever. But um, yeah, I like it a lot. It's it's uh, one of my favorites on the album. Mike, your take on it? Yeah, I, again, I have so many just great and to me fun memories of th this album and hearing some of these songs, particularly this song on the radio. Um, yeah, I remember, I forget the name of the, the radio station call letters, but there was a, a DJ that used to be on WDBE, and her name was Chris DiCarlo. She later had like a rock show, I wonder if you'd say it was called like it wasn't rock line. It was something else. Uh, there was, it was like a, a weird, like off channel on FM. You can only hear like at midnight or something on like Fridays. I forget what that radio show was, but it was a cool show. Because, that was it. Thank you. Metal Thank shop. You. Yeah. Metal we, shop. Yeah. We all stayed up till midnight to hear that yeah, on Friday had, night. Yeah. yeah. So what I, I heard do, Talis, Billy Sheenan for the first time and was like, yeah, was wow, great. that guy plays bass really fast. It was yeah. great. But yeah. I remember specifically having the headphones on at my dad's house um you know after having to stay up and watch 11 o'clock news and i could finally go to bed and i put on headphones and I would listen to this radio show and i remember hearing this song and i you know i didn't have the album yet but you know she was just playing like new stuff and i remember hearing this riff i thought wow that's it, that's scary that's edgy i like you know i like this what is this you know and it's almost like brian's vocals sound different than they do on the rest of the, of the record in a way you know it mm. sounds like they recorded it on their porch a yeah. little bit it has like sort of a weird like almost like you can hear more ambient you talk about hearing the room and the songs you know what i mean but yeah it almost has like a, an ambient uh feel to it the whole time well, it's being played which to that point too i thought just today i thought it's almost like you're you know seeing them in a pub and they're playing the song live it doesn't right. sound like they're recording in the studio you know which you know it, it, it's cool um but you know, again you know i was mentioning things about um funny i know we're talking about the song that, that was my experience hearing the song and it's one of the reasons why i dig it so much but um you know, I was bringing up the fact that they've never really been questioned on, you know, the devil thing or Satan's music and, you know, the lyrics and all this kind of stuff. But I, I remember think they here, probably have. I think we just weren't big enough ACDC fans to read those interviews. Probably. You know what I mean? but, but the point of me bringing that up is I remember hearing more stories about, you know, I think this is around the time when people were, bands were getting sued like Deep Purple and, and The Who and, you know, over like volume at concerts, you mm. know, like concert volume. And I remember hearing stories about, you know, guys going to see ACDC and they're saying, oh, my God, it's so loud. You know, they, they shoot off cannons and, you know, those about the rock and all this stuff. And I thought, well, that sounds cool. You know, the volume is, is power. And, you know, I'm into that. But, like, I remember being afraid of going. I thought, why? If these guys are telling me that, you know, people are suing the band, you know, because they lost their hearing at an ACDC show, maybe I shouldn't go. <laughs> so I didn't see them until, like, you know, years later. Okay. You know, as much as I love volume, I was kind of like, whoa, that's, 
I don't know if I, I need to be exposed to that. You know, maybe I should be, you know, buyer aware, but cool that they address it in a way in in this song, you know, they're like, you know, are you deaf? You want to hear some more? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's some interesting lyrical things going on in the song, especially, uh, you know, hey, all you middlemen, you know, uh, come down off the fence because rock and roll ain't no riddle man. To me, it makes good, good sense. Um, yeah. I mean, that's interesting to me because, you know, you, 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 it calls to mind the um, meme of, I guess you could say, uh, you know, if you're if you're in the middle, you know, you're 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 not going forward or backwards and you're in the middle of the road, you're going to get hit either way, you know, but they could also be talking about middle in terms of middle management, you know, middle mm. class, you know, those the the thing that is neither fish nor fowl, you know, um, yeah. and and it's, it's just an interesting an interesting use of words. And then visually too, the whole thing about uh, you know I took a look inside your bedroom, you know saw you look so good lying <laughs> on your bed. Again, there's a certain kind of night stalkerish creepy factor here. But the idea I yeah. asked you if you wanted any rhythm and love, you said you'd rather rock and roll instead. Um, the the idea that that the music itself is its own thing, uh, you know even preferable to having sex um, that can be in, that can be enjoyed although obviously rock and roll is in some ways a euphemism for having sex so um, oh, yeah 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 but but um, but then you know too I'm a sucker for any song that that talks about rock and roll will survive and you can't kill rock and roll by Ozzy Osbourne and and Neil Young and you can't and stop rock and roll can't stop yeah. rock and roll and rock you right. know you know I I wonder <laughs> at a certain point exactly how true that is i don't know i i think it certainly seemed very true in 1980 um you know and well I, I... <laughs> e e even uh y&t in 84 had a song um uh, rock and roll is going to save the world and it had a very similar riff to this song on mm. the uh or whatever that album was that had um anyhow yeah um whatever i forget the name of the damn album the 84 y&t album whatever that okay is. yeah yeah um, but I, I, I do wonder, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, it calls to mind too that sort of messianic rock and roll save the world day of the rocker by twisted mm -hmm. sister. Um, you know, all of those things, I think, I don't know. I, I mean, I know young people have music of their own and will always find new types of music to listen to that their parents won't understand that that will speak to them personally and whatnot but i do sometimes wonder you know how much of the legacy of rock and roll itself will survive well you know i've been kind of researching some of this you know on the side and one of the things that i keep seeing as a common theme is you know the legacy of rock and roll i think will definitely survive in terms of you know, if you go to Urban Outfitters and you want to buy some vinyl, you know, you can get it. You know, even more so than you could maybe, maybe 10 years ago. You had to go to used record stores and find these things. You could find them for $3. Now you're paying $20, $30 for a new copy of, you know, Beatles record, which I could have bought, you know, 20 years ago for $3. You know, it's there if you want to get it. Um, but I think, you know, one of the problems that I see, and this is a common theme that, you know, I've seen in, in interviews is there are no current rock stations that are playing new, new music from bands. Yeah. 
you know, like you, you, they call it like legacy rock. Like you, you'll hear things like you know ACDC or you know you'll hear you know, the, the the common kids tunes or Led Zeppelin, whoever. You'll hear the stuff. You guys heard. read the. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. No, I, I just want to make the point that you know the legacy of rock and roll that that will live, but you know in terms of new rock and roll, you've got to work really hard to find it. Yeah. You know, there there are bands like Dirty Honey who were. Um, I think they're on the same label as, as the Black Crows and they're touring with the Black Crows. I mean, they're getting a lot of press and I think they're a local band, you know, but, you know, as much press as they get, it's not like you hear, like, you know, there are no rock magazines anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, you have to, you have to do the work. You have to go online, I guess, and research the stuff. But in the old days, you go to the record store, you would see posters, you go to the, you know, your local drugstore, buy your rock magazines and read about this stuff. I mean, you know, yes, you can go online and read, you know, the LA Times and you can go online and, you know, look at, you know, you know, stuff about, you know, what's going on, heavy metal or rock, whatever you want to call it. But it's just, it's, it's like, you have to work harder to get it. And you have, mm. and, and bands have to work harder to get, you know, airplay. Like I can't think of one radio station in, in at least in Los Angeles, where I would go to them and say, Hey, I've got this new band. You, would you be interested in playing this or at least giving it a listen? Right. You know, we, we, we mentioned, well, uh, you know, the, the, the Krista Carlo show. I mean, you know, she would sometimes play local bands as well. You know, there was a, a show that Val Porter had on WDV on Sunday nights. She would play local music for like an hour. <laughs> it just no, that still happen. exists. It doesn't. The, the, really? okay. There's, there's the uh, WXDX still has a thing. There, you oh, okay. Know, they still have a local music show, um, and then what's it called? YEP, you know, has a local show. Um, okay. I mean, there's still local stuff for Pittsburgh, at least. The interesting thing, I just read an article in on the news app on my phone or whatever. Like, I don't know where the article came from, probably from like Wall Street Journal or something like that. <laughs> New music sales are down. What is now hmm. selling more than anything is songs from 20 to 30 years ago. Hmm. Like there are no, you know, that the people are no longer, they're either streaming it via, you know, YouTube or whatever, but the actual, like the music that people are listening to now is stuff that we grew up listening to, you know what I mean? And things that are 20 to 30 years, years ago, there's no, um, which is the, what my friend referred to as the, the fire hose of the new, you know what I mean? You're just because uh. of the internet, so much new <laughs> stuff is being given to you all the time um, that you can't decide and pick, you know, right. um, what to listen hmm. to. And so, I mean, I have that same, cause I'm constantly trying to find new bands or whatever. And um you know, so I have I have my algorithm on iTunes, which always gets uh, screwed up whenever we do these things, because then they give me a bunch of classic rock or you know, whatever, because I listen to, you know, one album over and over again. Um, but, you know, there's there's stuff that I'm getting exposed to. But again, it's like one song here, one song, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So it's it's this actual article was saying that, like, new music is not selling, you know, it's mm. not what people are. And that even that even accounts for like the big hits, like the Katy Perry's and the uh lady gaga and that kind of stuff but it's their sales are still being beaten out by older stuff from the 90s and 80s and so forth well, yeah I know dave, dave you look like you have something you want to say about the motor one other thing too sure. um we you know you keep hearing things from you know we're, we're talking like well-known established you know long-term artists you know they'll say listen there are no record labels anymore there are no you know there is no you know management for bands anymore but you know i, I mentioned you know people buying vinyl from urban outfitters or target or whatever like this stuff is coming from somewhere. So there are labels that are, you know, that have access to classic material, classic albums, and they're re-releasing that stuff. But yeah. again, they're, they're not really supporting new artists in a way. Like that's not the same avenue that you would, they used to be able to pursue 
in a way. Now, there's no artist repertoire, you know, coming out to shows, you know, that I've seen mm-hmm. you know, in the last, you know, 10 years. I mean, where are these people? What are they, you know, they must exist. You know, the money's there and the labels are there, but like, there's just no support. We, you, this stems back to, Dave, your point about, you know, rock and roll won't survive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's nothing more depressing than listening to a, a radio station or even Sirius FM or whatever, and they go, you know, oh, Aerosmith uh, put out a new album today, and, you know, here mm-hmm. is Sweet Emotion. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you, that happens all the time. Um, like, I would say, actually, ACDC, for whatever reason, is one of the few bands uh, that seems to bypass that and they actually are able to get some radio airplay for new material that they put out. Well, they were on Atlantic uh, in their in their classic days, if you will, in this era. Who are they with now? Does I don't know? even know. I don't know. Yeah. But um, whoever it is, it's working though, right? Yeah. Now, the, the other question is, have you guys seen ACDC live? No. I have. Um, and I'm... I'm I feel like a heel for saying this, but I've only seen them once. It was on the Razor's Edge tour, which I think was the Bruce Fairbairn uh, record. Okay. Um, I forget who opened the show. It was at the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. I forget. Oh, Joan Jett opened, but I got there late. I didn't see Joan Jett. But yes, I did okay. see that tour. Uh, it was a great tour because it, that's where I realized that this, this was like a, a really great moment in my learning of guitar. That's when I realized, I want to mention this too, in, in our album discussion, Angus is so bluesy. In his oh, guitar yeah. playing, really bluesy, and and to the point where, you know, people think of heavy metal, and they think the guitar's got to sound big, and it's got to be loud, and a lot of distortion and overdrive. He plays almost on the edge of breakup, mm-hmm. which is a hard way to play. You know, you plug somebody in an amplifier that's really cranked with a lot of sustain, you can make noise, you can get sustain, you can play notes, but it's going to be good. Is it going to have any feeling, any soul? No. Angus, you know, plays through like nine Marshall heads that are basically on the edge of breakup. And just sounds so bluesy. And he also does a lot of great work with soloing in terms of like going back and forth from major to minor pentatonic, mm-hmm. which is, is a, you know, a sort of a, I wouldn't say a schooled approach, but it's a very disciplined approach in a way. It's not just jamming. It's not just a, a guy, you know, I'm going to play any like a Chuck Berry kind of riff or trying to do something like Johnny Thunders would do. No, this is a guy that knows how to, to work around major, minor pentatonic and play bluesy. And what you mentioned seeing ACDC live. Once I saw that live in person, I realized how bluesy he is mm-hmm. because he ta- basically takes a solo and he's just doing his thing. But he's just, it's almost like watching, I don't know, like John Lee Hooker or, you know, insert, you know, buddy guy or, you know, insert, you know, blues you know, guitar player name. That's what I felt like I saw when I saw his young play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you hear, like, you know, if you've ever seen buddy guy play, he plays so damn loud. His amp is like basically on 10 all the way across, but he can go from a whisper to a scream in a second. But when it screams, it hits you in the chest. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember seeing that in 1980, I guess 1989. I was just blown away by that. Never mind the fact he had so much energy on stage and they were such a great band. And you've got the visual of um, Malcolm and uh, the bass players, I forget his name. Um, but anyhow, like, you know, it, it's an ensemble in a way. Like they do the thing, they go up to the background vocals, they back away and it's, it's Angus and, and Brian's show. And, you know, it, it's, it's a presentation. It was professional, but again, I took away that, that bluesy feel that, that Angus ha- has that I didn't really understand at the time. Okay. You know, I didn't get that until I saw them live. So yes, I saw them live once. It was great. You know, I, I would love to see, I, I, I'm kicking myself a question because I was talking to somebody about this today. Did 
the tour with ACDC and with uh, Axl Rose on vocals uh, play L.A. Yes. Did they really? Okay. So I didn't go to it, but yes. They I didn't did. go to it either. Yeah. I'd love to see that too. You know, if yeah. they would ever do that again. But yeah, one one time, it was great. I'd love to see them again. Yeah, I too saw them one time, which I was con- a little confusing because I think I saw them in '89 on the Heat Seeker tour. No, that was '87. Because I oh, think was that '87. Yeah, okay. we spoke about this day because I remember seeing the ad in the Pittsburgh Press, and it was it was billed as ACDC and Guns N' Roses. Right, but then and it, it wasn't Guns N' Roses. LA Guns. That's what it was. So yeah. once I saw that, I said. I'm not going to see it. If it was Guns N' Roses, I would have gone. And it was the Heat Seeker tour, and that was 87. Yeah, okay. Would, yeah, would have been around the time of Appetite. Yeah, I remember that was what you must have seen. I remember, too, because I, I went and saw them the night before I had to, like, take, like, uh, my SATs or the AP test <laughs> or something, you know. Um, but it was a great show, and and it, it calls to mind, you're talking about Angus's approach to guitar playing. I remember there was an interview I read with him one time where they played him something, I think, by Ingve Malmsteen or one of those guys, and they asked him what he thought of it, and he said, um, sounds like he practices too much. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was funny because, you know, yes, I think that that Angus definitely knows exactly what he's doing while he's playing, and yet he he's able to play it in such a way that it sounds and feels spontaneous and off the cuff and full of life and you know like a living, breathing you know thing. Yeah. But it's also very much yeah informed by a traditional blues, you know, in terms of the notes that he's choosing for sure, for sure. And in terms of, you know, passion and energy and feel, I mean, th- this is probably a guy that has set the world record for, you know, waterlogging guitars. Like, there's so many of his guitars that he's played that they've had to replace the, you know, the hardware or the wood's gotten soaked. And, you know, mm. they've, they've replaced sections of his guitars. I mean, the guy just, maybe he's a heavy sweater. I don't know what the deal is, but like, you know, <laughs> the guy has energy on stage and that comes across, you know, and, and, he, and that breathes through his instruments, you know. So it, that's the kind of thing that, you know, separates the men from the boys when it comes to, to music and, and guitar players, you know, give, give me some energy some sort of connectivity and he has it yeah which you know it could be said about this entire album is that it you you can't argue with the energy of of these songs and and sort of the purity of them and you can yeah. you know nitpick about some of the lyrics and and whatnot but uh but still i mean there is an argument to be made this is the ultimate hard rock album and there's a reason why 50 million people have mm-hmm. it in their in their record collection so we haven't talked to each other for a long time what have you guys uh been up to in terms of doing music and seeing music and all that good stuff uh i'll go uh little wretch has put out a new album called red beats and horseradish it's on um it's on itunes and spotify we're working on putting a gig together, although you can see Robert sometimes plays solo in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, yeah. Around that area. Um, and then um, that's really about it. Um, yeah, for music, we, we've been doing some rehearsing. That's, that's really all we've been up to. How about you, Mike? Uh, a couple of things, Dave, I have to apologize to you. I haven't had a chance to check out the, the tracks you sent me, but I will for sure, um, you know, in terms of, you know, working on some, some new tunes. Um, in terms of, you know, artists that we're familiar with, especially coming from Pittsburgh, uh, I saw that the 
cynics are releasing a documentary oh cool um, yeah i don't i don't know what the format's going to be or you know where it's going to how it's going to be released but the, that should be released i think in the near future which would be really cool to see um because i know dave you and i saw them at uh was it the garage on yeah. santa monica years ago yeah uh great band um in terms cynics of what, the greatest rock and roll band ever yeah they, yeah, I've yeah. Met, they for a while. I, I I still maintain that's one of the greatest rock shows I've ever seen in my life. Sorry, I have to plug in my computer here. It's starting to okay. die here. Um, the um, that's they're the one of the greatest bands I've ever seen in my entire freaking life. Like no lie, they. I mean, I ooh wow wow. Yeah, I've seen them at least like a dozen times, and every time I'm just like, this is the greatest show I've ever seen. So sorry, carry on. There we go, Cynics. Um, and ter in terms of what I'm doing, um, the Claws, uh, we still have the, you know, the uh, the EP and the uh, the you know, the, the full length C that we released. We're gonna release final, I think, uh, sometime this summer. Again, we just played a show last night, and the guys are working on booking some Midwest uh, East Coast uh, shows. Cool. Um, if if all goes well, I'm I'm not sure I'll be able to do all of them, but I'm hoping to be able to do some of the shows. Um, Towards the end of June, it uh, looks like there's at least a show in New York City, um, and there's a show in Pittsburgh at a place called Cativo in oh, Lawrenceville, wow. nice. which I've, I've never right. been to. So, um, it, you know, as much as I can get out there, I'll be doing those shows with those guys. Uh, but I know they're looking at uh, Chicago, Grand Rapids, Canton, Ohio, uh, Erie, New York City, Pittsburgh, and that's about the extent of it. So good news uh, to get the music oh. out there. Um, another band I'm in, the Slam Denises, we're going to be recording some new uh, new material. Uh, we were supposed to record it back in March, but um, that had to be pushed uh, forward to June, or at least June or July. So there'll be new music out from those guys. Plus, too, we have you know, the full length album, but they haven't really released. So whatever's going with the powers to be, that'll come out at some point. Um, so yeah, always, always busy. That's about it for me in terms of uh, music stuff, you know, and, you know, artists that, that I'm familiar with and love. So Dave? What do you got? That's cool. Yeah, you're a busy man, sir. Um, yeah, so in terms of, sh of uh, things that I've gone and, and seen and checked out, um, I went and saw Imagine Dragons because my, my hmm. son is, is a big fan. And I have to say, those guys put on a hell of a show. Um, it wow. was it was, you know, a fantastic concert experience. And I a funny story about those guys. I saw them just like before they got signed to their major <laughs> label deal. They were playing the Roxy as part of the Sunset Strip Festival. And I just uh, happened to wander in there and, and see them. And even though it wasn't necessarily the kind of music that I normally listen to, I was blown away by them just there i was like these guys are gonna be huge you know and and obviously they are now they're headlining arenas and and you know they've even grown so much more as in terms of being you know amazing performers and whatnot but um so that was cool and then i just saw uh ace fraley and alice cooper oh you went great yeah leader. yeah which oh, wow. um again you know was a pretty spectacular show um like ace's band took a few songs to get warmed up but you know hmm. to me the highlight of the of the show was uh new york groove in terms of ace because he actually had like worked out like a, a complete new solo for the song that was really oh. mind-blowing and and the, the the band themselves worked out some really cool background vocals that kind of expanded upon what's in the recorded version of the song um oh cool 
Yeah. So that was cool. And I got to say, Alice Cooper, I've seen him many, many times um, since the 80s. And uh, probably the best Alice Cooper show I've ever seen in terms wow. of like the sound, the song selection, the theatrics, the performance. The only thing that was missing was the snake. Um, ah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so if you can get a chance to catch him on tour, don't don't miss it. Um, and then the other thing that I've been doing musically is I wrote and am directing a play called The Crew, which is oh. a completely unauthorized play <laughs> about the world's most notorious rock band, Motley Crue. Uh, it's about an hour long, uh, darkly comedic drama starring Ryan Ruffing as Nikki Six, And the tagline is, underneath the dirt lies the truth. So it's part of something <laughs> called the Hollywood Fringe Fest, uh, where they put on about 200 plays all throughout June, in, all in the uh, all throughout Hollywood. So there's going to oh, be wow. five shows. Tickets just went on sale today, and uh, if you use discount code RAA for Rock Album Analysts, you can get yourself a ticket for six dollars, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're right in the middle of rehearsals. Uh, I think people are, wow. are really going to dig the show. Yeah, that should be really cool. Wow, yeah. that's killer. I'll look into that for sure. Thank you. Wow. Uh, question about Ace, though, because um, I had some friends that uh, sent me some stuff uh, from the, the Greek show. Yeah. Um, it, is there a different bass player in the band now? He, he looked, the bass player in the clips that I saw appeared to be different from what he had um, from previous tours. I think they may have substituted a different bass player. Okay. Because um, I think that the guy that plays bass, I think maybe left to go play some dates with Accept. That's if something like oh, that. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I figured you know that. So okay, cool. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, one other thing I want to mention too, and not that it's everybody's cup of tea, but uh, in terms of seeing shows that are you know somewhat uh, you know if you want to call it special, I just discovered a guitar player named Philip Sace. S A Y C E. Okay. He's a guy that had played on uh, some of the 90s uh, and early 2000s, Melissa uh, Etheridge uh, records. You know, he's an amazing blues guitar player. I, I you know, it's amazing I never heard this, of this guy before, but I literally just discovered him like two weeks ago. Um, he's got probably about eight albums that he's recorded over the years. Um, you know, if you're any kind of fan at all of Jimi Hendrix or, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan and, and guitar players that, you know, play with feel and passion and, and volume, uh, check this guy out because I, the literally the week that I saw that, you know, he was, He's got some new albums coming out, and I thought, well, I should look to see if this guy's playing shows. And here it is. He was doing three shows this year. <laughs> Two of them were at the Baked Potato on Coenga in uh, Studio City, and the nice. other one was in um, uh, the Dallas Guitar Show that's coming up. And I went to one of the Baked Potato shows, and I was blown away, man. Oh, this wow. guy, I mean, it, you know, the Baked Potato is like, you know, my apartment is a thousand square feet. You're, you're like, this, it, that venue is like the size of my living room. It's tiny. Yeah. It was great. The guy was doing two nights, two different sets each night, no set was the same. He was doing mm. different songs in each set and just playing his ass off. It was, okay. I, mean, I was blown away. I mean, you, you know, blues rock is not everybody's thing, but like, if you have any feeling about appreciation for like guys like Hendrix and Steve Ray Vaughan, check this guy out. I mean, he's definitely a guy that is, it will impress and I think you'll enjoy, so. Awesome, what's, what's his name again? Uh, Philip, uh, P-H-I-L-I-P-S-A-Y-C-E. Okay. Good very stuff. Cool. Very cool. And what's the name of the Little Wretches album again? Red Beats and Horseradish. Okay. Um, 
The, there's a video up on YouTube called Palms and Crosses, if you want to check that out. Um, awesome. And uh, so you can buy CDs, you can buy a vinyl version of it, and we're hopefully going to be playing around the state of Pennsylvania at some point. Awesome. And if you Excellent. Google Hollywood Fringe Fest, and then you do a search for the crew, with or without umlauts, uh, <laughs> this show will come up. And you can use discount code RAA to get your $6 tickets. So I guess next week we will be back. And the second best-selling rock album of all time is Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Love it. Looking forward to it. Cool. Take care, guys. Take care. All right. Good to see you guys. Likewise. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.